0: and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com.
1: Hey there, it's Ron. Thanks so much to everyone who came out to Sue Teatro last Sunday for our special collaboration with Stories on Stage. Standing ovations feel pretty darn good. Our next shows will take place on March 8th at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, and March 16th at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. theme for both shows is Ouch, and Denver will be celebrating its 6th anniversary with a super special show starting at 7 p.m. Keep an eye on our Facebook page and our website, thenarrators.org, for more details. Next storyteller. Alright, next storyteller. This next storyteller. Our next
0: storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a
1: monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. Today's story comes from Adam Caton Holland. Adam has been performing at the narrator since the very beginning, and we're always thrilled when he's able to share a story. He's one third of the comedy group The Grolics, the mastermind behind the new hit comedy series Those Who Can't on True TV. This story was recorded live on December 16th, 2015, at Bumpport Theater in Denver, Colorado. The theme of the evening was siblings.
0: Hey, guys. Sorry I'm late. I was outside Frenching. <laughs> um, so, Ron asked me to do this, uh, this show about siblings and my first thought was that i was going to tell a story about my little sister lydia who passed away three years ago um but i've done that on this stage several times and i've written many things and i was kind of going through those thoughts when ron told me siblings was the was the theme and then before i could even blurt anything out he goes you should tell a story about your older sister anna and of course ron would always encourage me to use this platform however i wanted if i wanted to tell a story about lydia i could but when he said that something clicked and i was like. Absolutely, I should. Anna's fucking amazing. And I think when someone close to you dies, the tendency is to memorialize ad nauseum, to make a martyr out of all the time, often at the expense of those people who are still here. And um, so in writing this story, I just really had a more profound appreciation for my sister Anna, and I wanted to thank Ron for making me think that way. I think it's a way we should all start thinking about our siblings who are here today. Um, so Anna, Kate in Holland, now Anna Holland Edwards, long story. <laughs> when she was six years old, she watched Scott Hamilton win a gold medal at the Sarajevo Winter Olympics. And she said to my parents, I want to do that. I want to figure skate in the Olympics. That's what I'm going to do. And so my parents, being good parents, they got her skating lessons. But Anna is just not your average person. One day a week led to two days a week, led to three days a week. Soon enough, Anna was skating five days a week, then every single day of the week. She was uh, going to farther and farther skating rinks, more and more illustrious coaches. She was competing in tournaments all over the West. She became a figure skater. And it took over our family. This is a very time-consuming hobby. This is not your average soccer practice. This is like Texas cheerleader mom bullshit psychopathic figure skating. I mean, it took over my family. They made me figure skate for a year. (laughs) Truthfully. It's like, in my ongoing attempt by my parents to turn me into a homosexual young man, other attempts, no joke, include saxophone, ballet, Cub Scouts. They were trying really hard (laughs) to make it happen. But figure skating didn't take for me because I could never figure out how to stop. Not a joke at all. And so my move was just to skate as fast as I could across the rink, until I slammed into the wall. And then I just lay on the ground laughing. And they're like, all right, I think this steakhead needs team sports. He lacks the intellectual acumen to challenge himself. Let's get him into baseball and soccer. But meanwhile, my sister Anna just got better and better and better, and she started training in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Development Center three times a week down at the Broadmoor. They used to have a rink down there. And so my parents would drive her like an hour each way from Denver to Colorado Springs, an hour back. They were all in on Anna's dream, and it was impossible not to resent her, you know, because she was kicking ass. She was a good figure skater, and now she was on the Olympic track, and me and my little sister Lydia were just average (laughs) and watching Anna be exceptional, for most of our childhood. I mean, I had a deep, deep sibling rivalry with Anna long into college. And it was hard to endure watching Anna just be a star, be the star of the family. But there were, there were cool moments. I mean, like, the skating rinks would give us, like, tokens. We could play video games all the time. <laughs> we were there. We were there hanging out for hours on end. They knew us. As a young boy, it was kind of nice to be around all these, like, hot girls in skirts and tights. I liked that. And I would go on a lot of these drives with my dad to take Anna to Colorado Springs to train, and we'd listen to like Garrison Keillor, like Wobegon, and we listened to his music, Bob Dylan, and the Rolling Stones. Those were his bands, and so that was nice quality time with my dad, just the three of us in the car heading down the road. And I witnessed the single most amazing parenting experience that I've ever seen of my dad on that trip. This is an aside. We were, he had a, like oftentimes when we were coming back at the halfway point, Castle Rock. He'd pull over, and he'd take us to Dairy Queen, and we'd get a frozen treat. And we we're like, thanks, Dad. And he's like, you kiddos are the best, and we'd drive to Denver. <laughs> so one day we did that, and my dad and I... It was the summer, and it was hot, and his A.C. was broke. And my dad and I got, like, ice cream or blizzards or something, and we quickly devoured them. Anna got a fountain drink, some icy fountain drink that had a bunch of ice in it. So when it was done, she still had her ice, and so she was, you know, taking pieces out of there and, like, sucking on her ice. And we were as well. It was hot. We were trying to beat the heat. And I guess she got annoyed after our, like, fourth or fifth grab of her ice. And she just snapped. She's like, stop taking my ice. I didn't take any of your ice cream. This is my ice. I want to finish the ice. And my dad sat there for about 30 seconds silently. And I waited to see what he was going to do. And then he just grabbed the cup of ice out of her hand and threw it out the window <laughs> onto i twenty five. And nobody said a word for the rest of the ride home. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to have kids, but if I do, I'm going to be that kind of parent. That's how I'm going to get it done. So the summer of 1992... My parents informed us we were moving to Cape Cod for the summer because Anna had been accepted to train with this really hot shit skating coach at this fancy skating rink, Tony Kent Arena. She'd been accepted to do this. She was going to train with that person all summer. That's how into figure skating my family was. We moved to Cape Cod for the summer. But it was impossible to be resentful about that because Cape Cod in the summer is, like, comically idyllic. It's unreal. It's just quaint and historic. They sell, like, pies at every roadside stall. There's entire festivals dedicated to, like, strawberries and blueberries. It's like if Norman Rockwell fucked Edward Hopper and they somehow gave birth to a Kennedy. That's what Cape Cod is in the summer. And we had a house by the beach, so I got to swim every day. I played in the Cape Cod Baseball League and everybody was intrigued by me because I was from Denver and that was the summer that Crystal Pepsi came out in several key cities, including Denver, which was a tester city. So all of these kids knew of Crystal Pepsi and I was like, oh yeah, I drank that shit. It's delicious. And that was enough to just coast on popularity for the entire summer. Just ride that Crystal Pepsi high because I'd had it and they had not. It was a good summer. And it was an especially good summer because as I learned the first time I ever went to that Tony Kent arena to watch Anna skate or to hang out while she was finishing, I learned, as we all did, that Anna was training alongside Nancy Kerrigan that summer. Yeah, that's how good my sister was at figure skating. And I remember walking into that arena and seeing Nancy Kerrigan as a 12-year-old boy for the first time, this vision skating towards me on ice. Just long, brown hair, huge teeth. (laughs) Just juicy, thunderous thighs. She was like a show pony right there. She was a vision. And after that, I started hanging out at the skating rink a hell of a lot more. Trying to get another look at my (laughs) thoroughbred horse fantasy girl. It got so bad, my dad would, like, come down to the beach. He's like, I'm going to pick up your sister. You want to come? And I'd be like, yes, I do. And I'd run right out of the water, and I'd go pick him up, go pick her up. You know, thinking back on it, I realized this summer dovetailed with the summer where I, like, really, really discovered masturbation. Like, not just, like, a casual thing, but, like, all right, I'm jerking off every fucking day. Like, a dra- like every young boy goes through that. It's like, I think I'm deranged, like... I got this brand new car. Let's get it on the highway. See what it can do. (laughs) And more often than not, you know, Nancy Kerrigan kind of found her way into my, my fantasies that summer. The summer ended. We went back to Colorado. We came back here. I went off into middle school. I forgot all about my Cape Cod friends. I forgot all about Nancy Kerrigan until that one day in Detroit. January 6, 1994, when Nancy Kerrigan was viciously attacked. And what we later learned was orchestrated by that harlot, Tanya Harding. And I think you'll all recall her lying on the ground and yelling, Why? 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 My precious Nancy. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you who's to blame. The United States, the United States Figure Skating Association—that's who to blame because they should have never let Tanya Harding into the same arena as Nancy Kerrigan. That's what happens when you let white trash play rich people's sports. Not supposed to fucking happen. They can they are not able to hang and they lose their shit. She trained in a goddamn mall, okay? This is Nancy Kerrigan, ice princess. Tanya Harding was a pig in a tutu. She should never have been there. Oh, you let the guy from the trailer park play polo, horse goes missing, winds up sold to the glue factory. It's gonna happen. Those worlds should not collide. You're killing independent George. I think we all know what happened after that. Nancy Kerrigan, she recovered heroically. She went on to participate in the Lily Hammer 1994 Winter Olympics. She got second to that Ukrainian freak show at Sana Bayul. But if you ask me, and the ESPN 30 for 30 will confirm this. That Harding-Kerrigan thing was such an amazing scandal. It was so big and so constant for that entire summer. I think the U.S. skating figuration didn't want her to win because that would have just meant the sideshow continued. They wanted to be done with Nancy Kerrigan, just get her out of there, but they couldn't not give her a medal. They had to give her something, so they gave her second, the silver medal, and they're like, all right, Tanya Harding-Nancy Kerrigan, done. That wasn't Nancy Kerrigan's fault. She just got clubbed by a piece of shit white trash person. In route to her dream. That was when I started to realize sometimes the world's not really all that fair. Things don't go as you plan. Things didn't go as Nancy Kerrigan planned. I mean, yeah, she got on a Wheaties box, a few cash grab, Disney on ices, but she wanted that gold, just like my sister Anna wanted that gold. And a few years later, my sister Anna, she had to quit figure skating because she got chronic bursitis in her hips from falling her entire life onto hard ice. And she couldn't give up the sport, so she was getting cortisone injections in her hips every month to just try to prolong this to get to the Olympics, which she was very close to. But she had to give it up. She had to quit. And I think Anna went into a real depressed phase around then. I remember her acting out and stuff. I didn't put it back together until I kind of started writing this story. Like, Anna will not watch figure skating, not even watch it, she won't, unless you get a few drinks in her, she won't even talk about it. I played soccer my whole life. I got cut in college. It kind of broke my heart, but like I went and played on club teams. When the World Cup comes every four years, I watch every single game. I love soccer. Anna, not so much. She can't deal with figure skating. The heartbreak was just too much for her. She didn't get her dream of skating in the Olympics like Nancy Kerrigan, like Scott Hamilton. and That was probably pretty hard for her. But I think about Anna now... And I think about all that she's accomplished since then. And I think it's kind of how it was supposed to go. Anna's a civil rights attorney right now with my dad. Every day, she, like, sues the police for police brutality. She shuts down nursing homes for, like, criminal negligence. She and my dad have gotten two innocent men out of Guantanamo Bay, which is fucking impossible. (laughs) Impossible. And I honestly think her, like, separated hips made it easier for her to give... Birth to her three giant-headed, beautiful children (laughs) who are like the joy of our entire family. (laughs) And, you know, I think about where I've come. Like, I I don't exist in Anna's Shadow anymore. I got on stage. I told dick jokes. I made people pay attention to me. (laughs) And, yeah, it didn't work out for me and Nancy Kerrigan. But I'm engaged now to my own show pony. <laughs> She's got long brown hair, big teeth, <laughs> juicy thunderous thighs. And I'm excited to marry her. And when I think about where Anna is and where I am in my life, I can't help but be like transported back to those drives between Colorado Springs and Denver with my dad listening to all his music And I can just hear the Rolling Stones, and I can hear Mick Jagger as if he's talking to us, you know? And he just says, guys, you can't always get what you want. And that impossibly just impetuous accent of his. But if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. Thanks for listening to my story.
1: Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our intern is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew A Very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Legal Pete's, Greater Than Records, Sexy Pizza, Sexbot Comedy, From the Hip Photo, and Breckenridge Brewery. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.